Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Emily's name is Emily. We are back from our one week hiatus and uh, we got a couple more episodes in the pipeline. So uh, we're going to be getting back on the train. We are here this week to talk about Mania, the seventh studio album by Fall Out Boy. We sure are. We sure are. We sure are. This album, a lot of this will come up in the history, but this this album was uh, delayed famously, came out to uh, lukewarm reception. Actually, one of the things I found out is it was Fall Out Boy's first album since Take This to Your Grave to not have uh, like a hit song on it. L, I guess. Did not, did not notch any hits, but... Uh, an odd record. People definitely, I, I mean, Young and Menace alone is just a song that, and I think it's a song we could have hypothetically done the whole episode on because <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. You know, there's so much uh, talk about so many mixed emotions about it. And I feel like the same could be said for the album as a whole. So I am excited to look at it and just, you know, dig into Fall Out Boy a little more. We obviously in our uh, broad overview of the, of the emo trinity and associated bands we briefly touched on this album and on fallout boy but there's so much more to dig into so um how are you <laughs> i'm doing all right i'm i'm okay <laughs> uh hanging out yeah so i guess just to start us off i would love to hear a little bit about your history with mania all right so i was a senior in high school when this album came out mm. um i saw the tour when it came uh, my way, which was ironically also like a Christmas theme show yeah. or something. <laughs> I think I think the venue was having a Christmas event at the time because they started with like a Trans-Siberian Orchestra Carol of the Bells before they went on, mm-hmm. which was interesting. So I saw them in late 2017 for this tour. I remember posting on Snapchat when Young and Menace dropped which was like March, 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. I remember being very mixed on it at the time, but it eventually grew on me. Uh, My uh, experience with Mania, I definitely remember when Young and Menace came out. I definitely remember my opinion on it sort of fluctuating wildly with each time I listened to it uh, upon its release. I, the the things I remember, um, I was also a senior in high school. I remember uh, well, when that single came out, uh, yeah. I remember talking to my friend who I talked to music about, um, who was, uh, you know, not 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 interested in, in the new <laughs> Fall Out Boy. And I was sort of uh, I, I at that time, I remember saying that I, you know, I listened to it and I hated it. And then I listened to it again and I liked it a lot. And I'm going back and forth. Uh, I also remember yeah. my mom and I will often talk about, uh, you know, as spring turns to summer which was the case when this song came out uh we talk about the potential songs of the summer and uh at this time i think we were just we felt that there weren't a lot of contenders uh early on and i remember when this song came out i like played it for her in the car and uh she felt that uh it took too slow to build for for it to be a song of the summer Mm -hmm. contender um I was in, you know, and then obviously I was in college by the time the album itself came out. 
And I just remember uh, not a lot of people talking about it. And, you know, obviously I hang out with a lot of uh, people who are, were at one point part of the, the emo scene and um, yeah, people who, you know, had very strong connections to Fall Out Boy. I wouldn't say I ever had an explicit pop punk phase, but I was definitely, uh, I, I feel like recently I've gone and, and, and reassessed Fall Out Boy and my opinion on them has kind of improved. I feel like at the time I liked a lot of their songs, but I was sort of in the mindset of thinking their contemporaries were better. Uh, and uh-huh. the, I, I, there was especially, I think, an opinion I had about Fall Out Boy relative to Panic at the Disco that I think was very much flipped <laughs> since then. But yeah. we'll uh, get into that another time, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. So in January 2015, Fall Out Boy releases their sixth studio album, American Beauty, American Psycho. It was a bigger commercial hit than its predecessor, Safe Rock and Roll, notching two top 20 hits in Centuries and Uma Thurman. They promoted this album with two tours, the Boys of Summer tour with Wiz Khalifa and the Winter is Coming tour with AWOL Nation. I guess. Yeah, just... (laughs) Okay. Okay, Patrick. Sure. As is often the case, they did start writing material while on tour. They did not intend to do a project right away, and they talk about how they... They did like a quick release thing with the with uh, Save Rock and Roll in American and ABAP, and they wanted to sort of take it take it more chill. But then at Reading and Leeds in 2016, Patrick Stump played Pete Wentz a new snippet for a song called "Young and Menace." So we'll we'll get into how Young and Menace turned out. Uh, but from my reading, it definitely seems like it started out as like this abrasive, experimental, sort sort of improvised project they talk about how they were like sending it back and forth to each other pete says uh the rest of the song was more like how the song ends in its in its final form and that it quote sounded like a 1990s modem it didn't even sound like music yeah i would like to hear it (laughs) i would like to hear it we'll get into it still building up that song inspired the band to build a whole album around it Pete describes Young and Menace as reflecting the overwhelming and violent sensation of mania, which of course he he has, uh, he's bipolar, he does uh, have experience with that. He says that that idea is key to the concept of the album. He also describes the song as a palate cleanse for the band. Like I said, Save Rock and Roll and ABAP were sort of made in quick succession and they were uh, aiming for something closer to like a hip hop release cycle than a standard rock rollout. And on this album, they wanted to take a step back consider the path ahead and sort of merge multiple eras together with uh, some new ideas. Mm-hmm. The timeline from here, in June 2016, Fall Out Boy releases their maligned retooling of the Ghostbusters theme in connection with the, um, <laughs> the new <yeah>. film. <laughs> so they, they, they lose some goodwill on that, I think. A little bit. In February of 2017, uh, Patrick appears in Lego Batman and Star vs. the Forces of Evil, while Pete appears as a model during New York Fashion Week. And in April of 2017, after a series of Instagram teasers, Fall Out Boy releases their new lead single, Young and Menace, on the 27th. They announce that their seventh album, Mania, is due on September 15th, with a tour to follow in October. Now, they also released this, uh, this handwritten note from Pete uh, around the same time, which I'm just going to uh, read out here, if I can make out the handwriting. All right. The gentle pull of a tide that rolls over and over again, and by the sheer nature of its essence becomes an indestructible will, 
ripping out sand, eroding what was before it without a care, a transformational monster, the madness and frenzy of a truly bulletproof wave. I'm not just here for your love, I'm here for all of the love, the never sleeping, never blinking, caught forever in the sunshine riptide. Pete Wentz. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's uh, his introduction to, to what the album is, I guess. Young and Menace failed to land on the Hot 100. It, uh, I think, ended up like number two on the bubbling under chart. So, uh, and, and, you know, as I said, Fall Out Boy is like a band that like continued to have hits well after rock <laughs> was, was kind of out of the picture. Like of, like of all their contemporaries, of course, Paramore still had hits also. And Panic somehow came back around to having hits after them. <laughs> Hey, they did it somehow. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, this was a bad sign that Young and Menace failed to land. The next single was Champion, co-written by Sia, who Pete met while performing in the band Black Cards. Champion also failed to land on the charts. It was released in June of 2017. On August 1st, 2017, the aforementioned Pete interview with Rolling Stone comes out, where he you know, called the album a reset and talked about the Young and Menace and all that. During that interview, he revealed that the album, which was due in a month, uh, was not finished. Yeah. Two days later, on August 3rd, Patrick announces that the album has been pushed back to January. At the time, he simply says that the album wasn't ready and they didn't want to rush it. But a later Pete interview reveals that they weren't satisfied with a lot of the songs that they had made. Uh, The quote here is, there were some songs that weren't going to reach a wide enough demographic to be singles. And at the same time, they weren't meaningful enough to us. They were too middle of the road. Uh. Which I think is interesting, given uh, the album that ends up coming out. (laughs) But we will. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we'll see about that. September 14th, single three, Last of the Real Ones is released. September 16th, the Mania Tour begins with support from Black Bear and Jason Smith. November 6th, the final track list is revealed. November 15th, single four, Hold Me Tight or Don't. December 14th, a remix of Champion featuring RM from BTS is released. It also fails to crack the Hot 100. And uh, on January 11th, the fifth and final single, Wilson, Expensive Mistakes, is released. The album comes out eight days later. So they made some choices with this album. They did make some choices. I remember people saying, damn guys, hang on, save some songs for the album. Mm -hmm. Because it's only 10 tracks. Right. I, I, I think something worth noting about that delayed release cycle is that it allowed the album to like notch more singles than albums usually get in in the streaming era you know like i i was watching a video about uh, about katie perry's witness and how she kept putting out singles for it even though in the age of streaming once an album's out you can't just do more singles <laughs> like yeah. they're all out um but the delayed release of this album did allow fallout boy to keep putting out singles and if they had if some of them had been tweaked a little and if they had been released in a different order, it could have been, I think, uh, a, a strong move for them. It's just interesting that they were able to have this protracted rollout and maybe it ended up doing bad things for the album. I don't know why I'm so surprised to hear that Champion was a single. Like, that's just gone from my memory. Yeah. 
It was. I feel like I only remember Young and Menace, Last of the Real Ones, and Hold Me Tight, but could remember could remember the Champion music video and had to look up the Wilson video. Yeah, it was interesting in doing the research for this episode that like even after like looking at the singles and what videos came out, I, as I was just listening to the songs and looking for info on the songs, I found that some of them just had videos <laughs> and, and like they had like, they weren't singles, but like, you know, church had a video. They, they just, yes, you know, <laughs> that's, that's why I thought that church was one of the singles. Yeah. They, they just put out a couple extra videos and it's not even like um, save rock and roll where there's like a, you know, a narrative to everything and all the videos tied together. They just made a bunch of loose videos <laughs> for this album. Just kind of made some videos. They could do it. It was fun. Yeah. I guess. None of them are, are horrible. <laughs> uh, you know, it did manage uh, kind of a longer press shelf life than most of its contemporaries, even though uh, it was a, a poorly received record. And it like, it sold worse than the other two albums, but it sold like, okay. And it, you know, it was their fourth number one album. And uh, it um, finished the year on the Billboard 200. It was like 198, but it was on there. So I don't know. Pray for the Wicked was 57, I think. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but that's because they had high hopes on their side. I think they had high hopes after. I think I think like high hopes was a later single. It was still on the record. It's true. They, you can't deny. <laughs> is, that, is that the music video where he's walking on the skyscraper? That's the one. That one was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> We're not here to talk about that. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but but, but not yet. Maybe a little bit. After the album comes out, just, you know, to get to get the rest of the history out of the way, an EP of demos called uh, La Mania is released in February. And by August, the band had pivoted, releasing a, a more pop punk EP called Lake Effect Kid. The couple Lucy's. I remember that one. Yeah. Wasn't too bad. Yeah, there were some there were good, good tracks on there. One of them was actually... I don't remember which one it was. Uh, w- one of them was like meant to be a B side to Young and Menace. Mm. Oh, Super Fade. Super Fade was recorded as a B side to Young and Menace. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, it's, and I mean, in the context of like Effect Kid, I feel like it's worth noting this earlier Pete Rolling Stone interview that I also pulled from for this, but it's from 2016. He was asked if there would ever be a quote back to basics Fall Out Boy album. And his response was, when we got back together, we hadn't recorded since laptop culture happened with people like Diplo. We were adapting to that. I'd love to do a Back to Basics, Four of Us in a Room album, but I've seen bands try it and they can't get there. They're not hungry enough. They've experienced the world in a different way. And I don't want it to be out of fear where we have to go recapture this thing. You can't. Whatever it was, it was some kind of magic. Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, Lake Effect Kid is basically, you know, rebranding Mania Train Stops until March 15th, 2019. New York-based furry puppet studio sues Fall Out Boy for their use of the llama puppets heavily featured yeah. in Mania's branding videos, tour, and merchandise. Yeah! The 133-page filing argues that Fallout Boy only had license to use the puppets for the Young and Venice video, and that all further uses constituted copyright infringement. Yeah. <laughs> the studio also rebukes the claim that Fallout Boy co-created the puppets, insisting that while the video production company Rubric House and the band's management group Crush Music were involved, the band themselves had no involvement in the puppets' creation. Holy shit. The Nalamas were featured in all six music videos for the album, 
I think there were actually more than six music videos, but they were featured in in every music video, except, except maybe church, whatever. <laughs> they appeared at every stop on the tour and in the pre-show video. They featured heavily on merchandise and in social media content. They had- Oh, very much so. They had a whole EP <laughs> built around their image. One GIF featuring these llamas was the fourth most viewed GIF of 2017. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Which one? Uh God. <laughs> I saw it and it was like a completely nondescript gif, but it was just like it might have been um like them walking away from the explosion in the last of the real ones video, uh something like that. I don't know. No, uh, that that makes sense. Per the lawsuit, furry puppet were approached by Rubric House and Crush about creating two life-size puppets for the young and menace video. Rubric House sent them like a like an outline for the video with some, you know, inspiration notes from like other monsters that already existed, just like pictures of, you know, Jim Henson <laughs> creatures and stuff. And that was the only input that, <laughs> that anyone outside of, of Fray Papa Studio had in these designs. But one of them, the, the, the puppets they ended up using were the Llama Mom design that the studio made in 2015 and a new counterpart, Llama Dad. The doc also includes an email exchange between Furry Puppet and Crush Music in which Crush requested repairs or duplicates made of the puppet so they could be brought on tour. Furry Puppet says that the pieces were intended for the video and could be a safety risk on tour, even with repairs. Crush neglected to heed this advice. Damn. There are interviews where they talk about how the, the puppets were falling apart by, by the end of this thing. Like, <laughs> we're not built to withstand it. And there's so much, I mean, in addition to all the promotional stuff, there's like all these, you know, different people wearing it. There's that one video where Brendan Urie is wearing one of them. And it's just like, they, you know. Which video was that? Because I remember seeing that as like a rumor. It was, it was just like a promotional video where like, I don't know, the llama's eating cereal with a big spoon and then he takes off the the, the head and it's, it's Brendan and he's like, that's better. And then he keeps eating his cereal with a big spoon. <laughs> Oh, I remember hearing a, um, like an urban legend that it was that he was one of the llamas in the last of the real ones video. He could have been. Uh, I believe Jaden Smith is credited on that video in, in a way that makes it seem like he could have been one of the llamas. He's, he's credited as the llama wrangler. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, Black Bear and, and, and Jaden were supporting the tour, so I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the suits at one point or another. The, the narrative of this lawsuit, I actually signed up for a free trial of some like legal website to, <laughs> to, to look at the documents, but it really is just like um, some of the counts were, there, it was like nine counts or something, and some of them were dismissed in July of that year, and there was like a really long discovery period, and then they mutually agreed to dismiss the case with prejudice in April of 2020. I don't know what that means. Well, the, the with prejudice means that uh, that they couldn't sue them again for, for, for this charge. Um, Got it. It seems like, I don't know, it's hard to tell. It, it, it seems like there may have been, they were suing Sony and Universal. <laughs> so like they, they, they had uh, their work cut out for them. They might just not have wanted to deal with it at the end of the day. I just, I remember seeing a post when the lawsuit came out and how it had all of the band members' full names listed. Mm -hmm. And I just remember seeing, like, uh, it was like, this company is suing Peter Kingston Wentz III 
and his fucking cronies. Yeah. And that being like the title of the post. <laughs> uh, actually, I did kind of want to talk about the marketing. Okay. Real quick, because that was the thing that I was like big with. Sure. If that's the way to put it. They had this whole like pseudo, like ARG is the wrong word, but it almost had ARG energy. Mm-hmm where they had this whole thing with the Mania Corp that mm. never went anywhere. Mm. But as somebody who was in the Danger Days fandom at the time, I was like, oh, this could go somewhere. You know, I, I want to see the Mania Corp show up in as like a rival to better living. This never happened because Mania wasn't that good and then the fandom sort of died out. But uh, they had like all these, they had all this merch with like, designs parodying other brands right they had the mtv shirt they had the um planet fitness shirt they've got a vitamin water one a pop rocks one i don't know what this one is and then they also had a taco bell one Mm -hmm. and it's like oh is this uh is this the mania corp saying that like they own all these corporations that they have all this all this merch pretty cool there was also the whole thing with uh, calling you from the future.com and all the other websites. Cause there was, there was calling you from the future. Uh, let me find it. Uh, the maniacorp.com, the falloutboys.com. That was another one where they were like, you can buy fallout boy. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> uh, the fidget spinner. Sure. Uh, and all of this wound up tying into the mania experience, mm. which I don't really remember. Mania experience, yeah. I uh, ha- had read a little bit about this this pop up event where there were um, themed rooms based on many of yeah. the uh, of the songs. There was a a jungle room for Wilson. There was like a ball pit for Sunshine Riptide. Uh, there was uh, I remember they had Patrick in a tank signing things, <laughs> and it signed and it said, "Don't tap the glass." <laughs> they had two phone numbers that you could call that would like play messages yeah. with like audio recordings yeah the the heaven's gate room had like uh headphones where you could listen to unreleased tracks and there was a, a song a song by rivers cuomo that was one of the one of the unreleased things he always shows up he's always there <laughs> working uh, at, working also magic. also in my research i found out that the two llamas had names yeah they were uh frosty and royalty yeah i don't know which is which uh <laughs> yeah so, something else worth noting is that the uh the la mania ep the label for it was mania corp yes yes i remember that yeah it was frosty and the nightmare making machine whatever that means yeah so i guess this ep was was the payoff for that whole thing yeah, uh, I guess. Just, just this, this fucking four-minute EP. <laughs> it was only four. I never even listened to it. It was only four minutes. Yeah, it's three demos. It's three unfinished tracks. Fucking incredible. So, the album. The album. I, uh, I figure we can, you know, devote a little bit to each track, just sort of go through and then give our our overall thoughts. Mm-hmm. It begins with. Uh, the intro, Stay Frosty, Royal Milk Tea, from which the llamas get their names. Judging by the Fallout Boy tag on my Tumblr, 
I liked this song. Okay. <laughs> I liked it enough. I liked it enough to use it in a trailer I made for my senior year film class. Mm. It was a fun, it was a fun song, a bit of a banger. As an adult, it's fine. Yeah. It goes enough. Yeah. This song, I don't I feel like by the time this album came out, I I, I didn't bother to do a deep dive on it. But uh it starts with this, you know, kind of hard uh, electronic riff. It sort of like ties itself to, you know, Young and Menace having been the uh, the the first single. This sort of like introduces like those sounds as still being present, mm-hmm. and and I guess sort of like a harder version of this, like uh, you know, this this like electronic tinge, like rock star stuff that they've been doing since since they came back from their from their hiatus. It's it's just sort of like a like a harder, more chaotic version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, there's a post on here. It's like "Stay Frosty" is so short because it uh, would be too powerful if you had a longer one. Yeah, it, stuff like that. It's a hard hitting trick. I, I track. I think there are a number of tracks on this album that like go for that, and I think this is one of the more successful ones. Yeah. It also thematically and like musically kind of goes into these ideas of like mania you know as, as a theme for the album i i very much i like the chorus mm-hmm. like the only thing that's ever stopping me is me i like that mm-hmm. like i like what's going on on this i think the eau de resistance part is a little stupid yeah <laughs> i the yeah rest of the lyrics pretty good yeah and like the you know the even at the best of times i'm out of my mind again just sort of like ties into that theme of mania makes it feel present yes I feel like the hook is um, fine. Like, like maybe it is this 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 uh, odor resistance thing, or maybe it's just like I don't know. I feel like Fall Out Boy has done better hooks in the past, <laughs> and you know this is certainly like, certainly this is like a, a, I, I think this is this could be the intro to a great album. Like the, you know, as a first track, this is not a bad place to start at all. But it's yeah. not. It's not what I would have chosen. Hmm. I'll get into this later, but I do think the album's kind of out of order, just vibe-wise. Sure. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, yeah, we will get into it. I do feel like, again, this song sort of introduces, like, mania itself as, like, a a reigning theme on the album, and then we sort of take a hard pivot away from that until, like, pretty close to the end. In my, this, this episode was sort of inspired by, I was going on a, just an album binge sort of where I was just reviewing different albums that I'd listened to in in high school and I in my original like review quote unquote I'd said that uh post hiatus fallout boys had a stronger opening track uh most notably the phoenix mm-hmm. the beat's good it's fun some of the lyrics are a little meh but thematically it's fine irresistible was probably a weaker opening track mm. like they're not gonna compare to disloyal order in any in any uh you know pre-hiatus disloyal order they're not gonna compare to that sure but as far as starting tracks go it's like suitably middle ground yeah i feel like they like to start with like a like, like a hype up track of some kind and i think this song out of all the songs that are on the album this is probably like the one that most fits that Unless you want to do like like, like Young and Menace as an intro or something. I yeah, know. I my personal opinion is that Young and Menace should have been the opener. Mm. 
like both as the first single and just vibes wise, I feel like it should have been the opener. I wonder if it might've been better if Stay Frosty was the single and Young and Menace was the opener. Hmm. You know, in terms of what my ideal like single release pattern for this album would be, I don't think Stay Frosty would be like my first choice, but it does feel like it maybe has more hit potential. I mean, definitely has more hit potential than Young and Menace does. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, again, just like the ideas of Young and Menace. I mean, it does have that slow build. It feels like it, it's the slow be, build. Could also be a great, like, punchy start to the album. Yeah. It, it isn't the same kind of song as what usually starts Fall Out Boy albums, but, like, it's a good intro track. Yeah. The next track. Yeah. Is the last of the real ones. The best track on the album. Easily. I, we will. <laughs> Easily. We will get into it at the end. I, I think there are a few songs on this album that fully don't work. But this is the only one that fully works. Yes, for re- for sure, for sure. It, it was produced by Elangelo, who's most known for producing a lot of the weekend's early stuff. Patrick describes how Elangelo had been playing him like these snippets and song ideas, and he was resistant to the notion of using them. Quote: "I want to write the songs, but the piano loop, the, the, this piano loop that dun 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 is is like." It was like right at the end of the session and then Patrick had to like beat traffic. So he had to leave, but he was just like, he was so mesmerized by it that he was just like pulling out Pete lyrics on the ride home. And by the time he got home, he like had the song. <laughs> it's, it's a good song. It is. Like, where's the energy for the rest of the album? Yeah. Fellas? Yeah. It, you know, um, there are a lot, I mean, we'll get into it. I think there are a lot of, uh, there's obviously a lot of experimentation going on in this album. And I think that a lot of it takes the form of let's put fallout boy into a new genre category. But I think this form of experimentation where you're taking like a proven producer in a different genre and just like incorporating elements of theirs, uh, you know, that, 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 that piano loop, just like an element of Elangelo into like a, a sort of classical fallout boy song. It, it's a mm-hmm. lot more successful. Yeah, for sure. This, in terms of what I was talking about, about the flow of the album, this, I think it does veer away from like mania itself as subject matter. It moves towards these relationship songs that make up most of the album. But like, yeah, there are moments where it still comes in. And I think in interesting ways that like, I'm a collapsing star with tunnel vision is, you know, a, a great sort of image there. Yeah. Pete calls this the closest thing to a love song we've had. I don't know if that's true, but... I don't think that's true. <laughs> you, I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to process that sentence. I'm trying to process that sentiment. The closest thing you've had to a love song. <laughs> What about half of Cork Tree? <laughs> what about Young Volcanoes? Like, what yeah. are you talking about? I'm not even saying this isn't a love song, but like, certainly <laughs> it's not the most love song that they've done. I had other love songs, Pete. Uh, he also says that it was written the week after they delayed the album. They, I, I wonder about they how- They did good things with it, so. Yeah. I wonder about how much else they wrote after that, but I guess we'll never know. Ooh. Yeah, and, and in terms of, like, the single release thing, I do think that, like, if this had been the lead single, just, like, as a Fall Out Boy lead single, it would have done numbers. Oh, absolutely. But it was third in their rotation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, I think even in the, like, 
even to the extent that like getting a hit single was a whole different beast in in 2018 from what it was in 2015 i just think that like you know whatever centuries has this song has like double <laughs> you know this is this is exactly, what you put out exactly i'm not quite sure what fallout boys obsession is with uh having their music video sonas getting kidnapped and fucking murdered right well this video is a shot for shot recreation of kanye's video for flashing lights i was unaware of that yeah <laughs> on the one hand you know not super original but like i i think there is something in like the the tone of this album about that idea of like these these llama characters kind of like infecting a memory in a way you know to to like do their own version yes. of of an existing video yes that was the thing that was the thing with the mania corporation was infecting the memory and making like fallout boy versions of these other logos and stuff mm. yeah that was the thing yeah i kind of yeah <laughs> that works and then they didn't go anywhere with it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because Pete has done an interview where he was like, yeah, this video, it was just like, whatever. Me and my friend decided to, you know, drive off into the desert one night and shoot it. But it actually is like the most relevant <laughs> of any of the videos. Seriously. <laughs> I also remember like putting on my Instagram story, I can't believe Pete Wentz fucking died. <laughs> and just, I remember somebody responding like, he did? I'm like, no. <laughs> There was a remix that was put out with uh, Made in Tokyo and Bulow uh, in, in June of 2018. There was, I mean, they did, this would be an amazing episode if we ever get to it. They did a, a remix album for, for ABAP. <laughs> God, I hate. I love it. It's so, it's, it's, it's so. I'm full of hate. It so doesn't work, but they like. Doesn't. They like, it, it seems like with the few remixes that they did for this album, it's interesting that they were still doing remixes, but it seems like they were like, okay, on the last album, we tried to like have, you know, Zaytoven and all the, all these hip hop producers come in and just like, you know, fuck with the, the the instrumentation for this one it's just going to be the same song and we put a rap verse on it which also doesn't really work <laughs> sure what can you do i feel like with this album and with that remix album it's just it's just me throwing up my hands casey green style i guess the next track is hold me tighter down also a very solid track yeah yeah, I I remember this was the one that like during the album's rollout, this was the one that I really connected to and the one that I was talking about. Less the real ones I hadn't really paid attention to until a little bit later. But um, the, the, this, the, it has this tinge sound. It's moving in a more a more pop forward direction, which um, this album does in some ways and doesn't in others. Um, mm-hmm. It's very in line with like your your shape of you, your cheap thrills, a lot of the sounds of like the the radio in this era. I love the acapella part on this song. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's kind of a crazy like vocal performance to put on this kind of song, <laughs> just just yes. in general, you know. Like if you, it, it's such a like light and you know um, like like dancey kind of song, and then. Patrick is like, he's doing a run on the chorus. He's doing like, like all, the, all this. He's like, we're just like, whoa, <laughs> hang on. 
he's like hollering on the verses, just going all over the map. I don't know why, but my only thought is go white boy, go. Little bit. <laughs> that's, that's sort of how it is. I, the, I could see someone being really put off by this song just because again, of like the, you know, the, those pop reggae sounds that were so overdone at that time and the like the mm-hmm. the, the, the the like snaps that are that are over the whole thing and the you know again how exaggerated the vocals are but like you know it it, it does come together for me oh for sure for sure they did the uh dia dos muertos video for that one um i liked it it's fine <laughs> yeah it's fun it's fun, it was fun. Yeah, they do the, you know, they've got the purple gas and stuff. They got a little bit of the the, you know, the the themes, the, the motifs that they're playing the with. Themes. Yeah. You know, themes. They talked about I think Pete talked about how he always wanted to do like a Dio Dos Muertes themed video. And I feel like they could have done more with that. Like they're just mm-hmm. sort of they're just sort of like at a party, <laughs> it feels like, but it is, you know, it's a it's a fun video. Yeah. Doesn't take itself too seriously. I like the colors. Mm. It's cool. Yeah thematically uh i think it's a little harder to to read mania into this one <laughs> it's like there are parts though yeah i do love the uh <laughs> the, i think it's a classic beat line when your stitch comes loose i want to sleep on every piece of fuss and stuff that comes out of you that's very it's a very Pete line yeah classic stuff that's <laughs> the that's the kind of shit you'd hear on like <laughs> that's it's a very cork tree line mm-hmm I also like how in the first verse, the rhymes are on like the start of the next bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, decent one. The next one, on the other hand. <laughs> the next one's Wilson. The next one is Wilson Expensive Mistakes. Overall, I would call Mania an expensive mistake. Let's start there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing the original poetry for the lyrics for Wilson. Mm-hmm. And how they were on like Pete's live journal in 08 or something. (laughs) And how those were just a little better, Mm -hmm. felt a little more genuine. But I will say, as a Fallout Boy song, mediocre at best. As a pop song, it works. This is the first uh, track on the album up to this point that uh, doesn't work for me. Like, like, Like completely. I... It's built around this the 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 clash sample that was also used on uh, paper planes, and what um, once you notice that it's hard to uh, detract from it. It's a fine sample; it works for the, you know, the tone of the song and all that. I feel like the lyrics are not especially interesting <laughs> for the most part. Good Fall Out Boy songs will often like cover so much ground in a verse, and the verses on this song really feel a little more stagnant. It's definitely not their best. Like I have a soft spot for this track because it came out like when I was about to graduate high school. Mm -hmm. So I've got some affection for like, especially for the pre-chorus. If I can get my shit together, I'm going to run away and never see any of you again. If anything was taken away from this album and added to like the image of Fall Out Boy, it was the I'll Stop Wearing Black When They Make a Darker Color, which is, I mean, first of all, it's not even their line. It's from Adam's Family, but like. Yeah. <laughs> also, I feel like the intonation on that on that line is kind of, kind of sucks. Also, it's just. <laughs> it's a little sucks. Yeah. It's, you know what it is? It's the same intonation and like weird syllable 
kind of weird syllable sort of moment as in um the fucking last track on fever mm. what a wonder what a wonderful caricature of intimacy <laughs> You're like, what the fuck are you talking about yeah that's right uh man there was a, the infomercial video for this one also not very good I don't, in my opinion they were having fun yeah sure that's good for them i guess you reach a point with these videos where like it feels like the young and menace video does take itself very seriously <laughs> like, like, like that's the thing i can't remember the young and menace video for the life of me i just remember seeing a lyric video mm-hmm. but but it does feel like with a lot of these videos especially the further they got into it they're like let's just let's just have fun with this <laughs> Because at the same time, they were going on that Teen Titans episode. They were on Teen Titans Go when this was coming out. Yeah. You could see this, you know, fitting into, you know, the the manic sound of the album and some of those, some of those, like... I guess. Some of those ideas are still there. And it's also sort of taking us further into that, like, heartbreak narrative that's also developing. It's just... I mean, I mean, as we were saying earlier, it's just structurally weird to like really start from like an emphasis on mania and then get into like a relationship and kind of, I feel like in the end, they kind of make it seem like the relationship is a metaphor and it's like all one thing, but like, it's, it's just a weird arc to have. I remember seeing analysis about the album. Like we can get into this at the end. I remember seeing analysis about the album, about how it was the two sides of bipolar disorder. Mm. that being like mania and depression Mm. and like the depression sides being the slower songs the more introspective ones and then the mania being the like fun fun is the wrong word but the other ones and i can kind of see it but also i i feel like the assessment for me if i was gonna have one is that the the bulk of the album like the arc of the album is of some kind of manic episode and it's sort of about the relationship to mania and then like it ends on like a on like a cliff on like a a a drop into depression i'm gonna what if what if we just have a new conspiracy theory for this what if we just say fuck it the whole album's about mikey way again (laughs) they've done it again those He's it again, absolute madman. <laughs> Those bastards won't stop. <laughs> the next song is Church. Yeah, the next song is Church. The next song is Church. <laughs> in my original review for this album that I was posting in, on Discord, my entire review for Church says... Trying to phrase this in a way that isn't, at first glance, this song is about sucking dick, but, like, at first glance. Yeah. <laughs> You're right That's about all that. all I got. You're right about that. It, um... It definitely felt for me like, and again, when you look at the whole concept of the album, you could be like, well, this is more of that kind of, uh, that kind of obsessive, almost addictive relationship that we sort of see playing out in a lot of moments on this album. But this was a moment where I was really, I I really felt in the process of listening, like we had lost the plot. Yes. It's, It's like, it's like Church and Heaven's Gate are one plot and that's it. A little bit. It's just those two. Yeah. I do feel like this like church bells organ choir thing is like a logical progression of this bombastic rock star stuff that they've been doing post hiatus like this, you know, yes, 
makes sense to be doing that. I did like asterisk, uh, the bit in the second verse with, uh, I like the rhythm on, and if death is the last appointment, then we're all just sitting in the waiting room. Like I liked the rhythm and the descent on that. And then, and then the, like, you know, the, the little speaking bit where they go, Mr. Stump. I liked that. (laughs) That was fun. But it's like, that's the only bit of the song that's like fun. It's like good. It, it it should work a lot more than it does is the thing yeah. I feel like 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 you know it should work a lot more than it does and it's kind of disappointing that it doesn't yeah all this church stuff it could have been another like the phoenix moment where it's just like this, this huge burst of energy and it feels like the it, it's a little too and this is a problem I have with a couple songs on this album that we'll get into but I feel like it's a little too like boxed in a little too like you know built into a formula for for, for that to really come together it feels like Come on, guys. My chem did the Catholic thing already. Yeah, it's yeah. like they it's like they ran it through the filter that like Jack Antonoff puts on guitars and it's just sort of sort of sort of like crunched down the whole song. This is also a point where I do feel like I, I mean on doing this lesson, I felt like I had to consider comparing it to Pray for the Wicked. Interesting. You you've got the again, come on, guys. My Chemical Romance already did it. <laughs> right, right. Heaven Help Us may have been a B-side, but it was better than both of these records combined. <laughs> like, you've got the religious imagery. You've got the the EDM sounds coming in. You've got this, like, sort of intentional, kind of overdone, like, overstimulation thing that, that, that both albums are doing. God, they really did. The lyrics on this one are fine. I feel like there's nothing on this song that wasn't already covered pretty handily on Take Me to Church. Gentlemen, you'll never be hosier. <laughs> yeah, and then there was also a video for this one for some reason. There's <laughs> a video for this one for some fucking reason. Yeah. They're they're having they're having a good time and it is probably the least distinctive video of anything on this album. Sort of like a a real pop star video in a way. It's just like they're they're a band playing in a church and they're, you know, having fun, shredding and, you know, jumping around and all that, <laughs> but it's in a church. Yeah, and then there's like this plot line going on where this guy and this girl are in a Romeo and Juliet situation and the girl's dad like shoots him at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay, have fun. I don't know. Again, just like good ideas on this song. The song should have been better than it was. Yeah. The next one is Heaven's Gate. As a sibling song to church, mm. it is fine. Mm. Lyrically, I like it. The imagery is good. Musically, it is not as good. Hmm. It's interesting. It's interesting. I think it works as a mirror to church. And I think thematically, I can see it at the depression angle. But it's just not quite there. I don't know. It's interesting because, like, I, I see how the way they're placed in the album, it's hard not to see it as a, as a parallel to church. I do feel like other than the fact that they both contain religious imagery, I don't see them as being that similar. And, mm. I mean, just my, my assessment of the song was not really... Uh, as connected to church, but uh, you talk about this 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 idea that it was like in a in a depressive moment, but it really does feel like 
this more than anything else has brought us like pretty far away from what we were talking about. You know, you can put out this whole thing I was talking about. It's like the relationship to mania in terms of losing the plot. This, <laughs> this was a, a point of no return in some ways, especially with where the album goes from here. In terms of losing the plot, boys, we've lost it. <laughs> in terms of the plot, it's an unconventional point in the fallout boy catalog in some ways just i mean just as a storytelling song in some ways the mm-hmm. like the 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 focus of the lyrics i talked about other songs on this album where i felt like the the lyrics were not varied enough but i feel like on this song there's something about how pointed the lyrics are that kind of does work for me and feels like an interesting yeah. exercise for the band they don't usually do that no, I, I do like the imagery of, and in the end, if I don't make it on the list, would you sneak me a wristband? I like that imagery yeah, a it's lot. Cute. It's, it, it's, it's good stuff. It's, um, yeah, again, there are ideas here that like could have worked if not, again, if not for this formula sense that it has. Yeah. And I, I also think that this song makes better use of Patrick's voice than like, almost anything in their catalog like like, like, like there mm-hmm. are Patrick voice moments but a lot of it is sort of a, a, a play in contrast and this feels like they're really like hitting what works about his voice for sure you could see this as like another attempt at, at a hosierism yeah I guess the big thing is that like that I mean it really feels like a riff on the Rihanna song Love on the Brain which was like so unavoidable it was you know it, it peaked in early 2017 which was right around when this uh when, when this album would have been being worked on <laughs> so like they at the very least they you know heard this song and they were they were into this doo-wop sound and they you know put something down that had that sort of uh effect to it but it's really like you put them side by side and it's hard to uh ignore the similarities um and i mean the faded love line you know you could you could it's obviously not so it's something that a lot of people have said, but it's not something that Rihanna said on uh, Needed Me, another, another big hit from that album. I wouldn't know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I guess my overall opinion is that like, I gotta respect it. <laughs> yeah. like, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it. it wouldn't go in my rotation, but uh, I think it, again, if it weren't so formulaic, I would say that it, it you know, is, is one of the high points. Yeah. I definitely think it makes good use of Patrick's voice and I definitely think the lyrics are good. It just doesn't really do it for me otherwise. Yeah. At this point I was starting to be like, is, is the, the idea of mania, like, like, is that just represented through all the like experimentation that they're doing on this album? Cause I was looking at like a lot of the songs that we've had up to this point and it's like, they are trying a lot of different styles and, you know, uncharted ground, but like, I mean, like we were saying, the way that this album was presented was that it like was sort of a concept album and and that has not been really what it is up to this point. No. Gentlemen, I've seen concept albums. (laughs) You, sir, are no concept album. Gentlemen. The next track is Champion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay written by Sia as I said um I think you what what once you know that they like the vibes are there for sure I I remember champion getting heat 
when the record came out, I remember there being people who didn't like it. I seemed to have liked it. Mm-hmm. This was one of the ones I recall them doing live because I got like a little piece of paper when I went in and they were like, the Fallout Boy Champion Project, put this sucker over your phone camera, over your phone light to make the whole thing purple or something. Uh, that was cool, I guess. It, uh, I feel like at the time I sort of like, I found it very similar to Irresistible and- um, Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I kind of I kind of like Irresistible and Immortals and Champion are sort of just three songs I sort of consider one song. <laughs> A little bit. But I, I listen to it now. And I, I mean, first of all, there are such strong- like 90s hair metal uh vibes on it what now that i'm listening mm-hmm. to it again it's just like i mean just just the chorus that if i can live through this i, I can do anything it's like it's like very you know it, it's, it's that sort of anthemic like living on a prayer kind of <laughs> a little bit it is and i'm like okay i could do that i i would say it's probably less successful than irresistible and immortals to me uh maybe yeah, so- i could see it maybe some of that is like the lyrics aren't aren't quite as strong and maybe it just like again maybe the, it, it's just kind of kind of cheesy this like this like you know stadium kind of anthem thing they're doing um and I just mm-hmm. think it's musically it's interesting how like lyrically suddenly we are kind of talking about mania again but like the music is suddenly so much less interesting <laughs> than everything else that's been done on this album I do like the first line I'm calling you from the future to let you know we've made mistakes I like that Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so then the rest fun- just is not quite there lyrically yeah it's a fun place to start but uh it definitely there aren't too many uh striking lines it's uh, kind of it it's all I, got. I mean you know if i could live through this i could do anything is like 60 percent of the song right there so right there you got it yeah a very original <laughs> couplet for sure yeah. uh for sure for sure the video I thought was probably the most like conceptually worthwhile. I mean, now that we've talked through the last of the real ones video, I'm like, that was probably the most on theme, but like the, the champions video, I do think like it, it's a fun video and it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it like, it's just the llama skateboarding, right? No, the, and, and there, I, that might've been the lyric video. That's all I remember. The music video. It's like, it's this nesting doll thing where like, you know, it'll be a scene and then the character will reach up to their eyes. So there's like someone else in a VR headset and then it'll just like, it, they just like keeps doing that for the whole video. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, I do remember this now. Yeah, it ends like, like it, it comes to Pete and then they're like fall out boy and they go out on stage and then they take it off one more time and it's Jaden Smith. And then he like- I remember. Destroys the headset. I thought that was good. I like that. Yes, I remember that part. If this had been more of a narrative, if there had been like a visual kind of narrative thing they were doing for this album, then like starting from that point and having Jaden maybe be some kind of protagonist, there could have been something there. Yeah, there could have there could have been something there. That that's a good that's a good review for this album. There could have been something there. <laughs> Let's you know what? Let's cut it. <laughs> I uh, cut print. 
like I said, there there was the RM remix of this song. And again, it's just the same song with with uh, an RM verse slot in there. They did not um, put too much effort into the remixes, it feels like. Yeah. I do, I do kind of think that like they saw that like Champion was kind of like doing the best out of any of the singles. And they were like, if we get one of the guys from BTS on this, we can like maybe do a last minute push on it. And then it didn't. Didn't really work. I'm sure it, I'm sure it did some numbers, but it didn't didn't make it onto those charts. I feel like today that would work. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. They, I, I mean, they were a little early to on the on the BTS train. And speaking of that, the next track features Burna Boy in <laughs> Sunshine Riptide. So Sunshine Riptide is the weakest track on the album. Let's start there. I will certainly say right now, I could not for the life of me tell you how this song goes. And that's not true of any of the other songs on this album. <laughs> I could, but that's because I listened to it on the train home today. Mm. In my like third repeat of listening to the album in preparation for this, which is absolutely going to fuck up my Spotify algorithm. <laughs> Then again, my other like repeated listening to Fever has done that as well. So I'm just mm-hmm. gonna have to start blasting ska punk and we'll get back to basics. Yeah, just level it at. Where do we start? I'll touch on Burna Boy since uh, Okay, yeah. Yeah, just just to drop some knowledge. Uh, <laughs> a weird thing to have on this album, you know, Fallout yes. Boy goes back and forth in terms of doing features. And for, for this album, where it's been so far, to have one feature and have it be Burna Boy is pretty strange. It uh, feels very out of place. What, what Pete says is that he was just a big fan of like this Nigerian hip hop scene. I kind of remember Burna Boy being like a bubbling under guy who like Pitchfork was talking about and stuff. And I think they're... Uh-huh. they're if I was looking at it cynically, I could say that maybe like they, maybe even post delay, they were like, we have to get a big feature on this. And they were like, you know, they're trying to get in early on Burna Boy. And this was, this album came out two weeks before Burna Boy's, you know, major label debut. So they definitely did get in early. Um, maybe a little too early, although maybe this was the only moment where, where a Burna Boy feature could have done something. The, I think his verse is fine. But um, as a sonic experiment, Here's the thing. In, in listening to it, I didn't feel that it was like distractingly bad. I felt that it, um, you know, I think a lot of this hindsight of like, I don't remember the song at all. having listened to it like yesterday says a lot, but um, I didn't think on a surface level, it completely didn't work. I just think that like, yeah, I get that. I get that. It, it just didn't, it just doesn't stick. Yeah. It just, it feels like there isn't much special about it from the Fallout Boy side. I also think the mixing's a little weird. Uh-huh. Because Burna Boy's verse just isn't loud enough. I mean, that's the thing with, uh, I just just the very idea of putting like a like a Nigerian uh, Afrobeat rapper on a, on a Fallout Boy song. It's like, it's going to mess with the like, the levels a little bit. <laughs> like they're, 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 you know, it. If you're putting yeah. any rapper on a fall, like it made sense to put Lil Wayne on a Fall Out Boy song because he was, you know, very much in his rock star era at that time. But like, 
you, you gotta have someone who can kind of get on that level and Burna Boy is very much not the one to do that yeah like I I see I can see it with the the you know more relaxed vibe of the song the quieter sort of verse mm-hmm. but the whole track together just doesn't totally work mm-hmm. like it doesn't not work but it doesn't work either yeah it sort of washes over you and then like <laughs> like and then it's know, gone it's gone exactly like, like, like a riptide you could say the the letter that pete wrote when they announced the album the like big announcement thing for this album says uh the never sleeping never blinking caught forever in the sunshine riptide like the, you know this whole thing is about like the sunshine riptide this whole letter and it's very clear that like that idea, at least in that moment, was very instrumental to, to their idea of what the album is. I mean, there are waves on the on on like the cover and in all all these videos. Like it's it's clear that like this album is about the, the sunshine riptide. <laughs> and then it's just it feels unremarkable. Yeah, this really should have been a centerpiece track, and I could see how they like laid it down, and they were like, "This really works." <laughs> it just doesn't and then it didn't yeah i guess thematically if the if you see the sunshine riptide as like i i mean in that letter that transformational monster becoming the madness and frenzy of a truly bulletproof wave if the sunshine riptide is mania <laughs> then you can see this as a moment where like this idea that the relationship we've been talking about is sort of metaphorical comes into play the lines uh you're my truest feeling yet i love you so much it's just like oxygen it's going to my head a public meltdown petulant but irreverent it feels like we're not only like leaning very into that mania theme but also sort of implying in a way that we've been talking about mania even when it didn't seem like we were okay yeah I feel like if they wanted to make it more of a thing with this record, they would have put it higher in the track list. Yeah. I feel like I, in the number eight position, it kind of gets lost. Yeah, especially like between, like, like right before Young and Menace, and then that's right before Bishop's Knife Trick. It's like all, all this stuff at the end could have been moved to different parts of the album. But like, I don't know. It's just like, I feel like if their idea was to have this metaphorical relationship and be sort of like fixated on it throughout the album and have sort of this turn towards the end where it becomes clear what they're really talking about. Then like, uh, then I see how they got the idea that that song was important and that it should be near the end. But like, you gotta, you gotta give us a little more, you know, if the rest of these, if this, these past like four or five songs haven't been so textually about our relationship if they had been a little more like fallout boy in their lyrics and been you know sort of all over the place and uh, a, a bit of a cipher then like you could bring it around in a in a much clearer way and then 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 they just kind of didn't yeah again the, there could have been something there <laughs> there could have been something there I do think it's interesting how the uh, the backup vocals from Hold Me Tighter Don't, they kind of come back in at the end of this song. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just like, clearly this is a moment of like trying to bring the album together. And I feel like that was a, a, a fun moment for doing that. But I feel like, again, just like they do experimentation on this album, but like a lot of it is not as experiment. This is sort of like the biggest leap and also the song where they're like, this is supposed to tie the whole album together. It can't be both. Yeah. 
The next song is Young and Menace. The next song is Young and Menace. And it's interesting because I'm looking on Genius right now and there are a lot of verified annotations on here. Yeah, there huh. sure are. There sure are. He, he went deep on this one. I mean, it's... Uh, he went deep on this one and I respect that. Yeah, I, I, I certainly get the idea that um, a lot went into this song, I guess. <laughs> I still do believe that this should have been the opener. I think the quiet beginning and going into the chorus is good i think the breakdown could be shorter the first breakdown is a little too long uh the second one's fine the last one goes on a little too long as well and then it goes back into that quiet part and you're like okay i'll get into it more in depth i think that like each individual like like the idea of the three parts of this song where there's like the the cinematic sort of like slow you know verse energy i think that is a th- that energy really works and i think the, the the like the oops i did it again part like that energy really works and i think i like that a lot the breakdown at least what it becomes at the end does work and it's just like <laughs> i'll i'll get into it so so yeah. I fully like like the way that he talks about how the original version of this song was like the whole thing was like the ending and it sounded like a like a 90s modem it didn't really sound like music. I I get the impression that like their original idea for this song was something closer to a 100 gex song where it was like mesh you know this this sonic experimentation just throwing shit at the wall and then also not not really just like you know doing experimental uh glitchy kind of sounds and then also you know having some kind of pop element in there too and sort of like balancing those two i think i i mean i think it speaks to something in their instincts that like you know they would have been pretty ahead of the curve if they had done something like that and i think that it could have really worked if if more of the song had been like that and even if you you know what he says is that he they brought this song they did it and they you know did this crazy version and they brought it into the producer jesse shatkin who reconstructed it into something that could be you know enjoyed as a song and not just as an experiment for the band i feel like that is the moment where the song falls apart because i i feel like you can really clearly see how it's compartmentalized into like, like like the way that the first breakdown is like a tamer version of what it becomes at the end. And it's like, you know, you, you know, the first two breakdowns are like, like the second one is a little crazier, but it's shorter also. But then like the, 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 the big crazy thing only happens at the end. I feel like when you get it the first time, it doesn't feel like an experimental thing. It feels like they are trying to do a standard EDM drop and they are really failing. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of EDM that they go for with this, I definitely could see the sort of 100 Gex light idea. And the last breakdown, I really like what they do with that last breakdown. I like the, you know, the chopped up sample, but also Patrick's vocals over it. But I do think that the first one goes on for a little too long and that the second one's just kind of like fine. And I, I still do think that like the beginning parts are a little better. I, and I like the lyrics on this one is the other thing. Yeah. I feel like if they'd started the album with We've Gone Way Too Fast for Way Too Long, that would have hit harder. Yeah, especially since, I mean, they talk about how this album was sort of a reset from this, like, this, like, rushed rollout they were doing with the first two albums. Like, it really feels like... uh, Yeah. 
they talk about how the exercise of this song is what inspired them to like build another album around it and like you know i think it 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 really captures not only some of the some of the sonic and lyrical themes of the album but also like where the band was mm. <laughs> at that time when they were making the album yeah the thing is i think this song really doesn't work mm. and in articulating why that is, I think a big part of it is that it's too structurally a pop song. It's this idea that I've been trying to come around to where like all these songs sort of feel like they're these strong ideas and they're just like, they're just like compartmentalized in a way that, uh, that, that loses some of the, some of that energy. And I think that really comes through in this song where it's like, these ideas are so great, but the way that they are structured in like a, you know, verse, bridge, drop, verse, bridge, drop, like, like, like the, it's got a weird structure. It, it's got, sure. I, I think too conventional a structure for what it's trying to do. And I think if you had a more uh, like a gexier structure where like there, you know, parts feel sort of, sort of disconnected and it's like we you know there's this glitchy electronic part and then like the the oops I did it again thing could I I love that part but it it could be like I do love that part it it could feel but like I like the build-up in that like structure but I feel like it could work better if it was like that's the hook and uh you know the 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 verse is like something that comes either at the beginning or at the end it's just like i think they could have played around with the structure more in a way that like made the song come together and the fact that it is set up like a pop song again makes it feel like they are trying and failing to do a pop song and not that they are doing something more experimental and it's working i definitely feel that i'm looking at the annotations right now and it says there was originally a bigger britney spears reference I have the line that was originally in the song. Oh, the original line was, oops, I did it again. I've got my head shaved and my umbrella out. I just forgot what I was talking about. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Pete said that, that, you know, he felt uncomfortable with like trying to tell Britney's story and wanted to just allude to her more as like a, like a mirror for, for pop culture. Which like, I'm, I'm glad he didn't do more than that. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's keep it there this i mean in being the lead single it kind of was an introduction to the album but i feel like this you know has an introductory feel to it i also do kind of think it works as like an exhausted burst after this sort of uh all over the place kind of ride we've been on up to this point that it's just like where are we you know i i, I see i see where how are it, we <laughs> it does that yeah i will say this song did give me a little cred with one of my English teachers Mm. because we were on a train at one point to see, we were going into the city to see a show. And I remember her like grading essays on the train and being like, does anyone know who Nikki six is? Mm. And off the top of my head, he was, I was like, he's the, he was the guitarist for Motley Crue and he was legally pronounced legally dead twice Mm -hmm. uh, and is still alive. (laughs) And she was like, huh? You just knew that, huh? I'm like, yes, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> it's a nice little history lesson. I, I guess the overall thing is that, you know, Pete talked about how when they delayed this album, they felt like there were a lot of songs that like wouldn't have connected enough to be a single and that they also weren't as passionate about. It feels like their passion for this song was in the experiment and in kind of challenging each other to see what they could do with it. And for them to then take that and clearly like try to chop it up and turn it into a radio hit. Like, I, I, I think that's not just the song's downfall, but the start of the album's downfall. Something that I really like, I, I mean, 
again, I think the final burst is the one that like really works, but like, I feel like what works about it and is also present in the other ones is that like, they're taking vocals and instruments and they're just messing with them. So they sound electronic. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just a very cool thing they're doing. And it feels very organic in a way and very, and it sort of feels fallout boy in a way where if they had just done some like Skrillex drop <laughs> in this moment, it would, you know, feel really out of place. The, the way that the, like listening, listening to it now, the way that the, um, the final breakdown sounds, it has a very similar, I don't know uh, how familiar you are with Set It Off, but it has a similar vibe to the final chorus of Skeleton mm-hmm. uh, off, their, off their new record uh, that's coming out in a couple days, which get hype. Their new record's coming out in a couple days and Skeleton was their, their first single. And I feel like if the rest of the song, like I really like the final chorus in Skeleton because it has more of that rock feel. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if they'd done it, if they'd done that for all the other choruses, it wouldn't have worked as well. Mm-hmm. But it's still my favorite part of the song. It has that same energy. There was also something I wanted to say uh, a little earlier. We can get back to this about Sunshine Riptide. In my head, it occupies the same space as Girl That You Love from Too Weird, Too Rare. And you know my opinions on Girl That You Love. And you know my opinions on, t- on Girl That You Love. Yeah. And it's that I don't really like it. And I think it, it, I feel like it brings the sound in a weird direction. It is my favorite song on that record. Famously. But... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know. And I like, I feel bad. <laughs> knowing that it. it's your favorite song. But... I love it. I love the, I love the discourse. Love the discourse. So the video for Young and Meta. <laughs> Please remind me what the video is. The video is, it's about uh, this kid, his, his parents are the llamas and they are abusive. Yeah. <laughs> Remembering this now, please go on. His parents are the llamas and they're abusive and he runs away from home and he speaks an alien language and no one understands him. Yes. And uh, there's, there's like an amusement park thing that sort of uh, comes in at the end. Um, to... <laughs> To think about where this record starts with what the llamas that were created for this video represent, you know, this broken home, this abusive home, and then how they became mascots for the whole album. (laughs) Mm. God. I have my questions. I looked at the fucking, you know, the like concept slideshow that they sent to uh, Furry Puppet Studio. And it's like, uh, the, the, for the kid, it's just a bunch of skills from Moonlight. And then they've got like, you know, again, like Jim Henson monsters and stuff for like the, for like what they wanted the llamas to be. But it's like, there's definitely, they're definitely taking some, some cues from Moonlight. I mean, in having this video start with him, like looking out at the ocean, you know, certain elements of that, of that abusive household thing again, but it's just, I mean, there's something to put together about how they had commissioned these puppets for the video and seemed to have kind of last minute decided to keep using them, even though they weren't really fit for continued use paired with how the, the llamas are like not fun characters in, in the original video. They are uh, touching on a very serious subject and they sort of at some point in this marketing process like 
lost whatever they were seriously considering with them. It it brings up a sort of it almost it almost brings up a point. Mm. Uh, if you're if you want to get funky with it, if we're like, oh, the llamas are are the parents in the original something 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 parent company something 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 mega corporation. Mm. Hypothetically, you could make this point. Does it go anywhere? No. Does it make much sense? Not really. Could it? on like a conspiracy board fucking pepe silvia i want to talk about the male style maybe there could have been a disconnect between like what fallout boy was trying to do with the llamas and what like the management and marketing people like ended up doing with them which was i think a lot a, a lot sillier maybe than what their uh, initial intent was there, there is yeah. that weird disconnect though between like the really serious ideas that they're talking about and thinking about on this album and then the extent to which they're just kind of fucking around, fucking around. <laughs> I, you could point to again the way that the llamas are sort of like infecting things, infecting memories, and the uh, like. There is a, a a through line that can be drawn to there. The you know them coming out at the shows and the pre-show video and um, having their own EP that's like the the unfinished Fall Out Boy songs. Like there could be something there too. It just I don't know. It could have been something. <laughs> It could have been something. So speaking of the llamas, the final track is Bishop's what Knife this Trick. What does with the llamas? There's a video for Bishop's Knife Trick. No. <laughs> no, you are... You're serious. There's a video for Bishop's Knife Trick. Uh, it is uh, about Patrick directing a music video featuring the llamas performing Bishop's Knife Trick. And he keeps getting upset and stopping the production and, uh, you know, throwing a fit at them. At the end of the video, he like forces the llamas up offset and he's like, I'll just do it myself. I'm going to continue living in a world where that is not the case. I think. <laughs> I'm going to ignore that, actually, because this is probably my third favorite song on the album. Um, I'm just looking at, I took very few notes on this song. Uh, it is, I will say, for what is at times, for what is definitely a bombastic album and a time an album where, at times an album where you can tell that they are having fun uh, or that like, you know, I mean, they're playing, they're doing, again, a lot of the songs on this album are sort of like condensed into the pop, pop song structures and they're, you know, a, a lot of those elements in there where you feel like that's what they're going for. This is a very down ending. <laughs> I wouldn't call it down. I'd call it subdued. I'd call it a more subdued track, if anything. I This was actually the reason that I revisited the album uh, was because somebody reminded me of the lyrics and I couldn't remember how it went. Mm. And... I remember really liking this track. Mm. Like I, it's hard to explain. Mm. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's, it's a, I feel like it's a very personal song in a way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you've got this, this uh, inverted, not inverted, but subverted almost idea 
on uh, that they have in Wilson of running away, of going somewhere. You know, if I can get my shit together, I'm going to run away and never see any of you again. Followed by I'm just a full tank away from freedom. Mm-hmm. And there's that connect there that I like. I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing on the genius that, uh, you know, references to what genius is referring to as the Best Buy incident uh, being uh, Pete Wentz's uh, attempt at his life in 05. Sure. Yeah. But I'm also seeing it related to homesickness. Mm. Which I definitely understand, you know, to the places that we never should have left sort of thing. Yeah, the glow of the cities, yeah. I feel like there are parts of this song that that just kind of get me a little bit, where it's like, damn. I guess, I mean, I think it is the most, it is the heaviest, emotionally oh, the heaviest track on the album by, by uh, some margin. And uh, again, I guess I, I I see it as sort of being, um, you know, like a, like, like, a, like a depression point at the end of this sort of manic episode. Uh, yeah. I really like the bridge, uh, which probably has something to do with my emotional state at the time. You know, graduating, uh, there was a friendship that I'd had that had kind of crashed and burned uh, that we were sort of slowly putting back together at that point. You know, we were friends by the time we graduated, but, you know, try to get it all back, put it back together as if the time had never passed type shit. The titular Bishop's knife trick from Aliens, um, I feel like that scene, it is sort of a manic scene and it's a scene where, you know, the, the, the robot is doing the knife thing on this guy's hand and he's just like sort of frozen there and he's getting faster and faster. It's, uh, y- you could relate that to a feeling of mania. I don't know if, it's, I, I wonder about how you could like tie that into what the song specifically is about. I guess there's sort of that, that, that idea of like the edge of death it's it's you know that that feeling of danger and there's like an excitement in there where you're like you're trying to get that adrenaline but once you crash from it you're like oh oh shit i i I don't know i guess i wouldn't say that i felt strongly about this song in the narrative of the album i thought it was an interesting place to close not necessarily a bad one Mm -hmm. but i also feel like Again, if there had been something here, th- this could have been like a show-stopping ending. And I think because the rest of the album <laughs> is a disappointment. So scattered. Yeah. Yeah. To have this, like, again, sort of heavy emotional note be the ending. It's sort of, you know, the, the, you, don't, you don't get a feeling of completion from it. You get, you know, it just sort of like amplifies the, the disappointment maybe. This is this sort of ties into where my you know opinion of having uh, Young and Menace as the starter comes in again, because mm. Young and Menace starts on that quiet note and then fades back down before the rest of the tracks, and then this starts and ends on that quiet note as well. And I feel like if the if that had been the bookends, I feel like it would have worked a little better. It it really I, I I mean I do feel like Young and Menace should be somewhere else on the album. It's just like yeah, to to have such a movement song and then do your ending right after like it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't feel together. right. I'll also say just something from the genius that I hadn't thought about is that the video uh, sort of parallels the Thanks for the Memories video where the oh. where the apes oh, are directing yes. directing the band and now he's directing the llamas. 
I feel like I'm remembering this now and have purposefully blocked it from my memory. Yeah, I, I, I thought the video was a, was, was a fairly funny concept. And I guess I could see how, I think this was the last video they put out and it's also the last song on the album, but like it's, um, I could see this being sort of a, a bookend in the sense of like, if you think about an infected memory with, with, with the llamas, then the way that Patrick is sort of like, pushing them out. He's become the thing that he hates. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Huh. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 again, it could have been something. <laughs> could have been something. So, overall, yes, a uh, thoroughly disjointed album, I would say. Very much so. Not as, like, song to song bad as I think I had maybe considered it in the past and as I think might be a lot of people's impressions of it I think there are off the top of my head I can't really think of a song on this album that I think completely front to back doesn't work Mm -hmm. but again I I think that Last of the Real Ones is the only one that completely front to back works yeah I don't know I feel like Last of the Real Ones definitely does and I feel like Bishop's does it's just hard to place why i i I guess i see bishops as a little like maybe less so but as a little bit of that same sort of like compressed feeling that i get from a lot of the songs on this album where it feels like there are ideas that are being like purposefully reined in Mm. but yeah i i mean I, i i i get liking that song and i guess i could like go through this and say like in the long run sunshine riptide really doesn't work and like Wilson is maybe one that I personally would say <laughs> doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't work, uh, but yeah. Parts of it feel out of place. The vibes are a little all over the place. In my original review, I gave it like a six and a half to seven, like a, a C plus plus. I remember like one of my mutuals saying that it was fine as an album, but it was a bad Fallout Boy album. Mm. or that it's a good pop album but only an okay fallout boy album something like that but when you compare this to like save rock and roll they're nowhere close to the same my assessment is i mean even having not like really listened like like in a while listened to any but a few of the fallout boy albums i feel like this is easily i would say their worst and I can't find a reason not to call it a bad album at the end of the day. Like, I think that is what I would, yeah. what I would say about it. I think the fundamental disagreement here, there's an idea of like, th- this could be like a, like, like a manic album sound wise, and it could have an all over the place sound and still kind of come together in a way. But I feel like there, again, is a big disconnect between a wanting to have really serious themes and, you know, do, do like concept album shit and all this. And then also, reaching a point in the production i think these are probably different phases of the album's production but reaching a point where they're like let's just fuck around and see what happens mm-hmm. and then also that spirit of experimentation contrasted with uh the pop structuring of of most every song on this album mm-hmm. and i think it could be said i mean as we were going through it i think it's true of like maybe seven or eight of the ten songs that uh there are striking ideas, but the you know there's always something that is holding it back, and it is often, in my opinion, the desire to make it a pop hit. 
<laughs> yeah, I get that. Not even in that, because like, because like, Fall Out Boy had a ton of pop hits on like their first couple albums, and I think a lot of those songs really work as pop songs. But a big part of that is because they're like doing Fall Out Boy, and they're not trying to do a pop song. And I feel like there there are a lot of songs on this album where it feels like they purposefully broke down the lyrics, broke down the musical experimentation, whatever, to fit like a pop structure. I feel like that can almost get into a discussion of Pray for the Wicked at that point. I know yeah. we've talked about this before. Yeah, I, I have that in my notes, actually, that I do think this album can be seen in tandem with Pray for the Wicked. Although a key diversion point is that uh, Pray for the Wicked is so optimistic and and I, I would say Mania has its up moments, but I would say it is... I, I couldn't say that any part of it is optimistic as <laughs> no but but I think what they have in common again this this overwhelming production that we were talking about this you know taking experimental ideas and kind of trying to truncate them into into pop boxes um again just doing a lot of experiments and most of them not working yeah and you know the religious symbolism on a couple of these tracks the genre similarities obviously those edm influences um there are definitely things learned (laughs) on this album like in terms of what did we learn in terms of like the the extent to which this was an experimental album i think they definitely pulled this away like okay the reggae afrobeat stuff doesn't work for us this you know experimenting with edm and or doing like big gospel or soul stuff kind of does work or could work it is telling, I think, that the, the that the only collectively liked and most like standout good track on the album is one of the least experimental in, in, in Last of the Real Ones. I, I don't want us to necessarily wrap up yet, but I'm just going to give us what Fallout Boy has done since, because I think it's, uh, <laughs> you, you know, sort of brings this together. Fallout Boy has not come close to putting out a new album since mania and while the pandemic has halted most big releases patrick's been working as a composer uh you know they've they've all got these different projects um as of july 2021 a few days before the start of the hella mega tour patrick and the rest of the band had not started working on any new music all right that makes that makes sense in terms of this album being a tilt away from the one after another release cycle, you could see them like taking a break until inspiration strikes them again. And again, they weren't coming together partially because of the pandemic. They talked about that too. But mm-hmm. like relative to Fall Out Boy's previous output, I think you could look at this and see a certain, if you're being uncharitable, you could say that there's a certain desperation like like a search for inspiration that they don't really come upon by the end of the album. This was January 2018. We are now into 2022. There were five years between Folia Do and uh, and Save Rock and Roll. We have no indication that they're putting out anything this year. And if they don't, they, they will have crossed the threshold of there being a longer break between Fall Out Boy albums than there was when they actually broke up. I mean, I feel like it goes back to what you were saying uh, when Hella Mega was announced of them like taking themselves less seriously this time. Just because I remember you saying like when Hella Mega was announced, uh, oh, it's it's three bands who don't really have to take themselves too seriously with it anymore. That's my thought, I guess, is like 
what the next Fallout Boy project is, like what their avenues are, you know, because it's been so long, whatever they do will be like some kind of comeback in a way. And it could land like the like the 2011 Limp Biscuit album where it just like goes pretty much under the radar and like the, you know, the fans know about it, whatever. To me, it feels like they have to go in, in or, or are going at least or are inevitably going in a Weezer direction, huh. which would be the angle of like continuing to work and like leaning into the kind of a jokey status and then kind of occasionally accidentally making a really good album <laughs> you know if That's... their if their comeback point is something like and and everything will be all right at the end where they are really going back to basics really doing a pop punk album and it seems like they might be i mean we know that that is kind of what panic is maybe doing and it's kind of what or... <laughs> panic is uh doing an album that Rivers Cuomo described as very queen-like and it is uh, made with, uh, you know, like like old school recording equipment. It's all on one, you know, uh, track or whatever. They're going back to basics. Apparently, I guess Weezer is also doing something with like the same producer that's being produced the same way, but. Uh, but you can't really go back to basics of Panic with just Brendan Urie. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You can't. <laughs> you can't. It's you've got you've got Ryan who wrote Pretty Odd and Fever. You've got Dallin who wrote Too Weird, Too Rare. Spencer was still in the band when they wrote Vices. I mean, it's, it's, it's even worth the comparison of like, even in spite of the pandemic and the fact that bands can't get together <laughs> as well as they could before, um, we know that Panic is working on something. We know that Paramore is working on something. Weezer is on their like fourth post-pandemic <laughs> album. They've got, they've got they, they did- um, Thanks, good for them. Yeah, I guess they did two albums last year and now they've got four on the way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Green Day already dropped another album and Fall Out Boy, from what we know, has not even started to think about doing another album. There is also maybe a 303 angle for Fall Out Boy where they could come back with, they could just come back with 100 decks. Like they could. The the, the things that they put out since, since this album that I think were smart moves they, in terms of features, they did the feature on the Martin Garrix and Macklemore song, which like, <laughs> it was not a massive hit, but it was like on the radio, people were talking about it. It was like put it, putting you in that mindset of you might hear Patrick Stump on the radio. And then they did the Lil Peep and McConan song, uh, I've Been Waiting, which it, I, I like that song a lot. I, I, I like their inclusion on it. It's another track that um, didn't do huge numbers. I remember it being all over the radio at the time and like, you know another thing that sort of keeps them going and again working with these you know the working with Macklemore I don't know but but working with like these of the moment artists doing like and something else that happened in this album's rollout is that like like in the midst of all this delay stuff Lil Peep did die and Pete Wentz talked about how that did really affect him and how he had you know had reached out to Lil Peep and did you know I have a lot of respect for him um so I think that was a smart move. And I also think doing the Gex feature was a really smart move 
um, because again, you know, on the early edge of this of this pop punk revival that's happening now, and now you know everyone's back. Now there's this this this, this new set of album. Avril Lavigne just did an album. Uh, the Ready Set is back. <laughs> like it's <laughs> back, baby. Why not? <laughs> it's fucking no holds barred. Like honestly, when you look at the new artists who have been coming out of this pop punk revival, kick ass. Like yeah. When we get a full Meet Me at the Altar uh, record, I'm going to be insufferable. Absolutely. Meet Me at the Altar rocks. The Willow album was great. Yeah. I know there. this is uh, could be a topic for another episode. I think Machine Gun Kelly's pop punk stuff is really good. I'm, I liked what I've heard. Yeah, it, 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 it's been an exciting uh, period. And so, yeah, I do think there's there's room for Fall Out Boy to come back on that wave and come up with, I mean, something that you do see in this album is them sort of picking up on artists and sounds a little before everyone else did, <laughs> you know, picking up on Burner mm. Boy, picking up on 100 Gex. I feel like they could come back that way in a really strong way and do something like if there was a Fall Out Boy album that had Dylan Brady of 100 Gex producing it uh, or, or, mm. or something to that effect, like there could really be something there. Or again, they could do the Weezer thing and uh, just, you know, be having fun with it, be taking themselves less seriously, kind of occasionally doing something good. But like, yeah, that's how I feel. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This has been an eye-opening conversation on Mania. Certainly. To the people at home, thank you so much for sticking with us, listening through this whole thing. If you like the show, you can support it by uh, subscribing to my Substack, sharing it on social media, letting your friends know about it. Just, you know, uh, spread the word. And I will see you all next week. I disagree. I disagree.